Welcome to Witch City Witches, a podcast from Salem, Massachusetts, exploring the practice of witchcraft. I'm Anna. And I'm Becca. And today is our first episode of season two. We are very excited to be back with you all. And uh, we do have a official topic of self-care that we're going to be getting into a little bit later, but we wanted to first kind of go over some of the events in our lives, in the world, in general, since we went on break in December. There's been a lot of stuff going on. So Anna, do you want to have something to say about that? Yeah, that's an understatement. Yeah. So the last time that we recorded was still in December and, you know, Trump was still president. And the great news is that he no longer is president. And the news is that there were riots in D.C. and the Capitol was breached for the first time in 200 years since, you know, the British. And that's just absolutely bonkers. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) It's just... You know, I, I think that we all kind of, you know, had that massive sigh of relief when Biden was actually sworn in and Trump actually left. But I, you know, I, I don't know if we could, any of us could have ever predicted that it was going to end with, you know, the storming of the Capitol. Yeah, that was, that was a crazy day. Like it was just, I had gone for, uh, my husband and I try to take walks around the neighborhood, just like get out of the house a little bit. And it was like, had just started happening when we left the house. And I remember talking about it on the walk. I was like, oh yeah, a couple of people broke through the barricades or whatever. And we came back like after a 20 minute walk around the block. And it was just like, oh, <laughs> like it's, they've broken through and now they're breaking windows and now they're inside. And so, yeah, it was hours just staring at the tv saying why don't the cops fight back against these people they fought you know black lives matter and they can like bust skulls but white supremacists come out and they all like you know hands off like what was that all about um racism obviously you know there's no way around that and it was really interesting you know being a latina immigrant i you know spoke to other folks with similar backgrounds and, you know, I grew up when there was still a military dictatorship in Brazil, and it was a dictatorship that was put in place by the city American president at the time. So for several of us, it's like, oh, look, it's another, you know, attempted coup by a city American president, except that this time it's happening in the U.S. instead of, you know, South America. Yeah. That was really complicated and loaded and really screwed up. Yeah. And uh, I think it does, like, you know, because a lot of people are like, well, how, why aren't they like protecting the capital and anything? And I think that it's important to say that it's, you don't want, we don't want more police presence. Like, oh, we should apply violence equally. Um, we should apply violence equally. That should be less of it. But if you want to make the argument that, you know, security is needed and the police force is needed, it would seem like that is a reason to have it. And it kind of fell through when the reason that you say it's important it doesn't happen. You know, of all the things that, you know, happened during that time and all the tweets and social media and everything that's come out, one that really stuck in my head was, you know, why do folks keep asking where the police is? Do you ask where Miley Cyrus is when Hannah Montana's on stage? Right. And in fact, a lot of cops are getting arrested right now because um, not only are they racists, but they're idiots. And they brought their phones with them and uh, all that shit's tracked. Yeah. Well, there was the guy who was on parole with an ankle bracelet and 
you got caught because they tracked him there. Oh, so actually, it, sort of related, as a shamanic practitioner, what are your thoughts about QAnon shaman? Oh my goodness. Yeah, I was wondering if we were going to end up there and... I, of course, have not enjoyed that they decided to call him the snowflake shaman, but, you know, it's one of those words that's so hard to use and have people take you seriously. You know, it's become so parodied and it's really sad. (laughs) And honestly, I was like scrolling through Reddit and I saw someone posting that and like our witchcraft asking, you know, how do we feel about then using the word like that and I was going to click on it and then I was like you know what for my own self-care as we're going to talk about I am going to not go down that rabbit hole yeah so I haven't like read a lot about that guy but evidently like he is some sort of shamanic practitioner just in a really weird direction and I do know that a lot of people that are into Norse paganism are getting tattoos covered up after that guy because they're just like you know it's been a problem for a while that people question if I'm a racist because I have you know a you know a Thor's hammer or something like that and I got it for religious purposes 20 years ago but but now that this guy has made it like really popular like now I definitely have to get that tattoo covered up. You know that's interesting because I have Norse runes on the inside of my left arm And I've been for a few years now debating whether it's something that I need to revisit because I got it done, you know, as a spell in 2005. Since then, Norse runes have become so loaded that, you know, of course, not everyone who works with runes is racist and runes aren't inherently racist, but there's kind of a point where you can't keep saying that and keep using the symbol. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Yeah. I, I know part, people with similar issues that have Celtic cross tattoos, they don't want people thinking that about them. So no matter what their reasoning behind getting that tattoo or what that tattoo meant to them at the time, what it means to other people has become more important because it's, you know, it's what people think of them. Right. You know, because we don't live in isolation completely yeah. yet. I'm working on it. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's a problem all through all sorts of paganism and witchcraft of appropriation of symbols by white supremacists. I mean, it goes back to World War II. In the 20s, like, you could put a swastika on anything for it was good luck. Suddenly in the 30s, oh, it meant Hitler. And it's been completely poisoned since then. And it does come up sometimes in you know, groups that I'm in that people were like, oh, well, really it means this, or I'm using it like in a Hindu way. It's just like, you can't ignore, you know, the massive energetic, you know, field that's been created around that with the negativity and the hate, you know, you can't. It's like once the well has been poisoned, the well has been poisoned. Like, and I bring up like in a, in a literal world, real world example in my hometown, um, where my mom lives, they're on well water. They're not, they're too far away from the town center to have city water. So they all have Mm -hmm. wells. And uh, probably about a half half a mile from her house, there was a house that was having oil delivered. And the oil delivery guy was a real idiot and managed to pump like 30 gallons of oil into the well. Oh my. And 
the town had to bring the town had to spend millions of dollars bringing water out there because that aquifer for that whole neighborhood was poisoned. It's just like when people's like, oh, the poison the well, like, no, that's that's literally what happens. And it's not like, oh, we can clean it up. You know, in a literal sense, once that happens, it's poisoned. You can't use it anymore. You have to go to something else. And the same thing happens with symbolism. And I definitely understand um, the need to fight back against everything. You can't just say, oh, well, the bad guy's got it. What can I do now? I guess I'll have to make up some new sigils. There's power in the old sigils. And there's definitely, you know, it's definitely like useful to try to hang on to them as much as you can. But you know, once that has gone too far, you need to acknowledge that it's gone too far. And that symbolism, you know, maybe it won't even work magically in the way that it used to, because it has this other energy attached to it now. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, I can still work with runes privately, you know, in my non-racist private way, but I don't have to have it necessarily tattooed on my body and displayed. I mean, not that I have any intent of getting a tattoo until this pandemic is clear, but <laughs> it's definitely something that's been on my mind for, for, you know, a few years now. Yeah. Because we do have that responsibility, you know, and that's the thing, you know, someone who meets me and sees my arm for the first time and they've never met me, they're going to make some assumptions and I can't pretend that that's not the case. Right. So uh, we got a little off topic. I, I don't even know if we're on a topic yet. <laughs> we were talking about, you know, events and stuff. So the inauguration has happened. And I know that I, I wasn't expecting to be emotional about it, but I definitely cried. I should expect to be that emotional because I cry at everything. I've brought this up before. I'm, I cry very easily. But yeah, I was, I was sobbing that like it was, it was finally done because it seems like the election happened so long ago. Like this whole time this year doesn't make any sense at all. And the fact like, oh, it's been like, you know, what, two months since the election? It feels like that was, that was years ago at this point. And that we've had to wait that the election happened and then all this other shit was just snowballed on top of it. And oh no, the inauguration did happen on schedule. It's going forward, so... Yeah, but the thing, it was two months, but Trump managed to be so destructive that it didn't feel like two months. Yeah. Thank goodness. But I guess it brings us to, you know, what we're talking about today, which is self-care, because it's been something that everyone has struggled with for four years, I would say, since he got elected and much aggravated in this last year. And the reality is, is that the fight isn't over yet just because Biden won. You know, there's still a lot of damage that has to be undone. There's still a lot of work to be done. And I mean, you know, he hasn't even had the impeachment trial yet. So even the Trump part of it's not done. And so how are we going to sort of try and keep it together so that we can keep, you know, persevering? Right. You know, it's not like Biden is the answer. Biden is, we took the knife out of the wound, but now we still have to bandage it up. There was a parody article on Reductress this summer, I think the title was something like, I want Biden to win just so that I can hate the president a normal amount. Right. <laughs> and it was about like, you know, all politicians have problems. We can't just say, oh, well, Biden's in charge. Everything will be great now. Things are much better, but there's still a lot of work to do. There's still, there's divisions in the Democratic Party between 
more socialist bent and a more conservative bent, just as there's divisions in the you know Republican Party between being completely insane and being traditionally conservative. So there's still a lot of work to do and there's still a lot of things that have to really be fought for because they're not just going to suddenly happen now that Biden is in charge. So I think that you know there is there's still a lot there's still a lot to do and we need to keep ourselves together for that. And so you know the lens that you and I picked today to start this discussion of self-care was tarot, since that's something that you know both of us work with a lot, and we're just here at the beginning of this hierophant year to see how this is going to play out, which is you know interesting because the hierophant is all about the existing you know structures and. We started the year with the Capitol being stormed, which is, you know, something we're thinking about. But I kind of started down this path of, you know, looking for the messages of self-care in tarot because I was preparing for my tarot study group this past Sunday. And I was looking at the, you know, the transits of the moon through the, through the planets uh, in the tarot. And one card in particular was the nine of wands. Uh, stood out to me because that is associated with Moon and Sagittarius. And the the message that I ended up pulling out of that was the idea of, you know, creating home and boundary for yourself, where you are, because the, the Moon is very much about, you know, safety and home and comfort. And it's got a much more Taurus vibe, right? And Sagittarius is, you know, fiery and adventurous and it wants to be moving. And so how do you develop a sense of, you know, home and boundary when you're in motion, right? And it kind of, that to me got into ideas of self-care and how you set boundaries and comfort for yourself, even when you are outside of your physical home. It's interesting looking at the card because, you know, it's someone who is, it's, it's very apropos for this year because it's someone who is battered and wounded and is taking a break and is like, okay, when's the next thing gonna do? What, what do I, I'm, I'm resting right now because something else is gonna come out and get me. And I think that that's very interesting for right now because it's very much of, you know, everything's okay for right now, but I've been injured from the past and now I need to recoup and I need to stay alert. You know, one thing that I've found really interesting is I've started looking into the the golden dawn names for the cards and Mm -hmm. uh, the nine of wands is the lord of great strength which you know makes a ton of sense yeah so we were talking about like you know all of the nines and you know do all of the nines have some sort of self-care uh message and i think of course the the most negative is the nine of swords which is i think a lack of self-care it speaks to that because it's like you're not (laughs) Right. And I think that that's pretty typical of how the sword suit functions in general, right? Like when you look at the numerology of the deck, right, you go through all the aces, you go through all the twos, the threes, etc. You know, the ace is kind of being the exception of that gift, but the swords are kind of always a very bitter take on that entire number until you get to the court cards. But it's definitely, it's definitely, you know, the sour suit. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of that goes back to the the numerology associated with the cards by the Golden Dawn, because um, sometimes with the, the not sorry not the numerology the astrology, um, because sometimes if you just like look up the the numerology and the the sword of and, and the the suit and what it means it doesn't necessarily seem all that bad. Like if you look at the three of swords, you're just like okay, so you know threes are things like you know coming together and 
swords or thoughts and like why is this a bad card but really it's because of the part of the zodiac that the golden dawn system assigns to the three of swords mm-hmm. in the negative placement everything's very intertwined yeah no, and tarot does always you know try to show multiple sides of a you know sort of same circumstance and i think it, you know you're right that the nine of swords is that lack of self-care and then in the wands the cups and the pentacles we have you know, different iterations of self-care Mm-hmm. And, you know, I share that I kind of see the the nine of swords as the that setting up of boundaries independent of where you are. And I guess I'm curious to see what you think of the other two, the nine of pentacles and cups. Well, I think that all four of these cards have a boundary to them. And the pentacles is sort of a, it's a physical boundary because like everyone thinks of, you know, the 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 nine of pentacles is like, oh, she's in her lush garden. She has everything she needs. She's happy. She's got her bird. But there is a sense of isolation to this card. With some of my clients reading it, and I know this came up several times, actually, when I was reading at your store pre-pandemic, that the nine of pentacles would come up with people who had um, become isolated to make more money, like people who had moved away from their families for a better paying job, and the rest of their family was going to come and live with them in a few months, but they had to, you know, get things set up first. And it was that sort of feeling of there's, you know, you're taking care of the physical part of your life that you have, you know, you have the monetary means that you need, you have a a secure place to live, you have, you know, secure walls around your garden, but you're all alone. There's a certain lack of emotional interconnection there. So I think that there's there's a boundary there that I don't think that's talked out about a lot. And I don't, and honestly, until I started reading for other people a lot, I hadn't really thought about that, but it came up so often in readings for people of like, oh, right, you're in a walled garden by yourself. And so I think from like a self-care perspective, I think it is very much about taking care of your physical needs. And that's, that's so important. Like, you know, you need food, you need a safe place to live. You need, you need to be physically secure before you can, it's very hard to have that emotional security before you have the physical security, which I think, um, you know, like the five of pentacles would talk a lot about that. The two people are together, but they're miserable, (laughs) you know? I agree that that idea of the, you know, the separation definitely makes sense because you can see, you know, in the Smith Rider White deck, you can see kind of that wall starting around the, you know, the, the lush gardens and the property and the house is off in the distance. So this is definitely a bit of a detachment, but a secluded detachment. And I, I feel like, you know, the, the hooded bird of prey also talks to that idea of how this is boundary setting right? mm-hmm. because it's someone who's guarding perimeters. Right. And, and for the, the nine of cups, I, you brought up before we started that, you know, he's sitting there with his arms crossed and he's got all his wares there. He's the happy merchant. He's the wish fulfillment card, but um, he doesn't have his, he's not open arm. He's not welcoming you in, even though that, you know, cups are emotions, cups are, you know, that whole, that's supposed to be watery feeling, that whole thing, you know, they're all in a line. The curtain makes this wall and in the version I'm looking at, it's a blue wall, um, depending on the the different colorations. Yeah. Bluish gray. So, you know, it does have that water element, but it is definitely, it's a wall. It's definitely that, that border. 
Right. And he's got his arms crossed, which is, you know, universal defensive stance. And, you know, the cups aren't there for the viewer to just reach, right? Like they have mm-hmm. to go through that, the, you know, the, the person who's there. And so it's definitely one of the things that I sort of come to, I guess, realize about the nines is that they are, they kind of are the end of the cycle and the 10 is kind of the excess or the plateau right. or you've kind of gone a little too far. And so, you know, here in the, the nine of cups, what we're seeing is, you know, this is what healthy emotional development looks like. It's mm-hmm. managing to kind of find that balance and put boundaries in place, right? It's not finding that balance and then just leaving it all out for people to stomp all over, right? You have to have that, that healthy boundary that is part of the healthy journey of you know, emotional growth. Right. And actually think about the boundaries for the, the nine of swords, I think that, you know, possibly the, like the boundary there is um, that mental energy of, you know, there is a boundary of keeping it in your head rather than letting it escape out into the real world. Like, you know, because the 10 is getting a bunch of swords in your back. Um, so, you know, nightmares are bad, but being stabbed is worse. <laughs> But also, I, it'll, I think it also speaks to, you know, learning how to create better boundaries within our own thoughts and learning how to compartmentalize and learning how to cope, right? So that we don't get to a place where we're overrun with anxiety. And I say that as someone who has had a lot of very sleepless, anxious nights over the last year. Yes. <laughs> I agree. So we went through the rest of the deck and uh, we both picked out other cards that would speak to self-care. I ended up picking a lot more cards than you did, um, and a few of them overlapped. So um, did you have any of the court cards in your choices? Yes. So, I, so I'm going to go in. I feel like we're playing Go Fish, like little kids. Do you right. have a three of hearts? <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm going to go in order. My first one that I picked was the lovers. Okay. So we're start, okay. Major Arcana. Go back there. Oh, sorry. Oh, you said court cards. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, no, I don't have any court cards. Okay. Um, so I just want to say briefly about court cards. I honestly picked all of the queens and then the pages of cups and pentacles. No, I was about to say that as I was saying that I picked no court cards that I very seriously regret not picking the queens because that kind of is the message of the queens. Like they are the self-care, yeah. you know, guardians. So I... Although, I mean, you could definitely say that, you know, you can interpret them as care for others as well, because a lot of people have a very mother energy to that. But I, you know, I see that more as a... I I see it more as a self. You you know, so the way that I, in in the court cards, distinguish between the queen and the king is I see both as the mastery of the elements, but there's, there's meaning to the, the role and the expectation, right? The king is exists in service of others. And so what he does has to be for others. That is the role of like the archetypal good king. Mm-hmm. And the queen, despite being oppressed in many other ways in uh, you know that kind of system, the queen doesn't have the responsibility to the kingdom in the way that the king does. And so she, you know, she can have a different mission and it's, you know, it's turning inwards. Right. And so I also picked, like I said, the, the page of pentacles. I think I see this as a student. So it's self-care is like, you know, learning new things, you know, bringing in new information and the page of cups listening to your heart. Yes. Yeah, that is important. Do you want to talk about your other minor arcana before yeah. we go to the majors? Yeah. So, you know, of course we talked about 
all, you know, having kind of that boundary in the nines across the board. And then the other two that I picked, because I was trying to sort of be strict with myself because, you know, really you can look at the entire tarot through the self-care lens and, you know, see all the cards that way. But I tried to be a little strict with myself. And so um, the two cards that I picked from the Minor Arcana were both in the cup suit and I picked the four of cups and the eight of cups. So we both picked the eight of cups. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, giving up on the, um, maybe what's it called? Um, the spent, what, what's the fallacy? The, the spent cost fallacy? Oh, sunk uh, cost fallacy. Sunk, co sunk cost fallacy, yeah. Of like, even though you've put all that time in it, it's, it's better to just walk away. Just walk away. <laughs> knowing that just because you put in all the work, if it's not what's right for you, it's okay to walk away. And, you know, I actually feel like, uh, you know, this is definitely a less common interpretation of the Four of Cups, but I see it as kind of a similar thing. And, and it's not so much walking away from what you've already built, but knowing that it's okay to say no to something being offered, that just because mm -hmm. something's being offered to you, you're not under obligation to say yes if it's not right for you. Right. Interesting. I didn't pick the Four of Cups, but I did pick the Four of Swords and the Four of Pentacles. And so I see the four of swords as being, you know, self-care of, again, taking a break, taking a rest, excusing yourself from the chaos that's going on. And, you know, like, you know if, even if you have to play dead, just <laughs> like moving away. And mm -hmm. the four of pentacles, I think, you know, people have a very negative aspect, thought about it. They call it the miser, but mm -hmm. and it definitely can be, but I see so often that it is like, no, like, in a self-care version it's you know keep what you need you you need things don't give up everything right right it's you know it's understanding that you can't that you shouldn't give to your own detriment and there's definitely you know a lot of a lot of power there i think especially as um you know female presenting folks we tend to have people tend to expect us to be giving a whole lot more than we get and that's not sustainable and um, I'm significantly less strict with myself about picking these cards. Um, so I did pick also two sevens, the seven of wands and the seven of swords, which I think are, they are self-care in a rather aggressive way that, you know, the seven of wands is just like, you know, beating back those other people and taking what's yours. And the seven of swords is uh, being sneaky and taking what's yours. <laughs> so, you know, so... The Seven of Swords also came up in my in my tarot study group this this weekend because the Seven of Swords is Moon in Aquarius, right? And it's that's a very interesting position for the Moon because people hear Aquarius and they think, oh, it's a water sign because it's the water bearer, but it's not, right? Air it's sign. an air sign. And so Aquarius, despite sounding like water, it's one of the most detached and unemotional like transits, you know, that the Moon can go through. You know, um, and so this card is called the Lord of Unstable Effort, which I think is really interesting. But um, I read something and at this point, I don't remember where, but it was talking about how, you know, we see we see this card and we it tends to be portrayed as a negative in that. Oh, look, it's someone being sneaky and stealing. And, you know, stealing is always bad. But it posed the question of, you know, what if it's someone stealing back something that was taken from them? Right. And I think that it's important in the in the decks, the the Smith decks, that she illustrated the background in yellow, because 
in Pamela Coleman Smith's color coding system for this deck, yellow was good. The mm -hmm. cards with yellow backgrounds are, you know, they, it, it's that, it's a high energy, good card. It's also so, air, you know, reinforcing, right. it's a very mental thing. It's not, you know, the water. Right. Yeah. So I think that that is, um, and it has, I forgot what it's called in Thought decks, but it has a fairly negative name in that. And I think that that, uh, it's like does. futility maybe? Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. Yep. So, which is an interesting way to think about unstable effort. Mm -hmm. Futility as that it's, you know, you keep trying, but you just keep, you keep, just keep fucking it up somehow. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I often see the seven of swords and the five of swords as kind of two sides of the same cord, uh, the, the same coin yes. that, that they're both sneaky, but with the five you lose and the seven you win. But you know, it's not a it's not a great victory, but it's a it's sometimes enough. <laughs> That's interesting because I see the five of swords as being the empty victory. So you win, mm -hmm. but it sucks. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you won, but at what cost? Right. Okay, so let's talk about major arcanas. What do you have? Okay, so now that we're on the correct topic, um, my <laughs> major arcana is the lovers. Okay, I skipped that one because I felt I thought about it, but I really I felt like it was. It's so often related to relationships with other people, that um, that I held back from choosing that one. How do you see it as self care? Well, so, so that's the thing. I sort of very much resist the lover's card as being that, you know, Judeo-Christian Adam and Eve romantic pairing. And I've, I really like the more modern interpretation that looks at it as being, you know, you being your partner and it being a mirror for the self. And I think that that's really beautifully illustrated actually in the fifth spirit deck, which you recently reviewed on your YouTube channel. Yes. If you remember what it looks like. I do. It has like the, the, the person is looking at sort of a black night sky version of themselves. Right. Like they're kind of looking at their, you know, it's their soul or their astral self, right. And finding kind of, um, you know, the harmony within that. And so I think that the message of self-care is, you know, if you think of yourself as your partner, right. As your romantic partner, how would you treat you? And that's probably the best way you can treat yourself, right? Assuming that that's that you would want the best for your partner, you should want that for yourself too. And so I think it's a reminder that, you know, we need to be a friend to our, you know, to ourselves. We're often like so much harsher with ourselves than we are with our friends, you know, like in the same ways that we're forgiving to our friends and we remind them of their value, even when they mess up or, you know, we tend not to do that for ourselves. So my first major card was the magician. As okay. so like I think similar to when I picked the sevens, I see this as um obviously a much more positive card than either of those sevens, but very much a seizing control, seizing the power, like, okay, I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna take that first step. I'm going to manifest what I want. So that, that was the first of the majors that I chose. Oh, yeah, It is an empowerment card, right? Because it is saying yeah. like, I have the power to affect change and do the thing. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely an affirmation if, you know, if nothing else. Yeah. Right. And I also chose um, the high priestess, which is, you know, I think it's self-care in 
um, you know, just delving into the mysteries within us that are hidden. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very meditative card. And I also, uh, I picked the hangman, which is sort of in a similar vein of that sort of like meditative. Um, right. It's that taking a pause. It has a little bit of the four of swords energy. It's funny. Yeah. I don't know why I skipped the high priestess, but I, I don't know. I, I, but I remember reading this interpretation of it once saying that when the high priestess comes up, like you need to stop trying to look for answers in other places and you kind of need to shut off, like shut off your phone, turn off the TV and deal with you turn inwards. And so mm -hmm. it definitely can be a really clear message of like, now you need to be focusing on you and stop with the distractions. Right. So I have a, a I have four actually more. I, the hermit, which um, you said that you, you agreed with earlier. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we've talked about the hermit before. It's again, it's that four of swords type of energy of removing yourself so that you can focus on you. Right. And that's, I think that that's a really key part of the hermit, right? That it's not just seclusion. It's a voluntary seclusion for the purposes of inner growth. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, the, the four of swords it, I think is more of just an exhaustion card. Like you need yeah. to stop and you need to sleep because you're completely drained and it's self-care in that way. Whereas with the hermit, it's more of a self-care in a, you know, a sort of active growth as opposed to like survival self-care. Does that right. make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I guess these are a little out of order, but I did pick strength. And I know we talked briefly before we started recording that, you know, it's sort of a cliche that strength is self-care because, um, you know, it's this inner power, inner strength leading through love. Um, but as, you know, as I was saying, the entire tarot is just a book of cliches, basically. That's how we read them. <laughs> so I'm okay with picking the cliche. <laughs> And I do have like two celestials, but I think that you have one other card that comes first in order. So do you want to talk about that? I have two more. So okay. my next card is the devil. Mm -hmm. And I picked the devil because there's, you know, self-care isn't always pretty. Self-care isn't always just, you know, bubble baths and with like scented bath bombs and you know, it's not rosy, like sometimes self-care is really, really gritty and just really kind of living in our humanity. And, you know, one of the messages of the devil is really about, you know, being in your body and enjoying that. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm recommending that people go like shoot up drugs as their solution to that, but there's something about, um, you know, having great sex, eating a great meal, getting an amazing massage, but something that just reminds you of, you know, like the good parts of being in this human vessel. And that can be a really healing thing because, you know, we do a lot of, of self-care talk in ways that are like, you know, well, mental self-care and, you know, you have to make sure you have your resources, but there's just also something about getting to the very, you know, primal parts of us and giving that some attention. Yeah. And I did almost pick the devil as one of my cards, but I already had so many that um, I knew that you were, you had like six cards and I was like, well, I have 29. So I, I cut back from there, but I still had a lot. Um, when I had 29, the devil was one of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do agree that there's, again, that there's, you know, it's easy to interpret the devil in a negative way, but there is that, that, animal quality to it that, you know, that can, yeah. 
Um, and so what was, what was your other card? Yeah. And so obviously the last card left before the Celestials is the tower. Um, and you know, the tower is a card that, you know, of course it's seen as one of like the scary cards of the tarot, right? Because there's a tower on fire and the top of it's like toppling off and there's flames and there's like literally some person on fire falling through the sky. But you know, there's, there's two ways to experience the tower card, right? You can be the tower that gets ruptured or you can be the lightning that's rupturing the tower. You know, there is a lot of self-care and power in deciding to embody that lightning and clear the path of the foundations that no longer serve you. Because, you know, that's the thing with the tower. Like, it's not an easy rupture. It's not easy whether you're you're the tower or you're the lightning, but it's always for the betterment, right? Mm -hmm. You don't come out of the tower worse once that cycle is finished. And it's necessary, right? Because it's right at the very, you know, beginning of like the third tier of, you know, the major arcana and you can't finish that journey without going through the tower. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of uh, astrology reports uh, recently and, you know, that's that whole, like, there's a lot of Saturn energy going on with the tower of the boundaries and the, especially when Saturn hits either like, you know, a Saturn return point or when Saturn hits the 12th house in in your in your zodiac that um it's just like okay well things that aren't working time to burn to the ground now because we're going to be going to the first house again in a couple of years and things need to be cleaned up so that we can start the cycle fresh and um i think that a big part of that whether you're talking about tarot or you're talking about astrology is that the more you resist that energy of not wanting to change not wanting to give up those things that aren't working but somehow they're comfortable like the the worse the universe is going to act and will take those things from you or take something else from you instead that you know like it's better to it's better to clean your closet than have someone come over and steal all your stuff <laughs> you know it's- yeah i feel like i'm getting a talking to right now <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I had you do my transit report for the year. And I do have to say, folks, Becca's reports are really good. And I don't say that as someone who's getting a cut of it. I actively paid you for my report, was happy to do it. And, uh, you know, you sent me a piece of my report ahead of time because you were specifically wanting to give me a heads up about that, right? That there was something that needed clearing in my life and that it was probably coming in the next two weeks. And, you know, when you said it, I was like, you know, I have had a situation that has been, you know, pretty painful for about a year now. And I have, I had resisted letting it boil over. Like, so like with everything that I had, I try to be like, no, like if I can just kind of tamp it down and, you know, kind of keep my own feelings, you know, in check so that I don't express how frustrated I am with this, that like, you know, it'll pass, it'll be okay, it'll get better. And no, of course not ended up, you know, blowing up right in the middle of that transit that you told me was coming and it wasn't pretty. Yeah. But surprisingly, I've come out of it on the other end being like, wow, I was so scared of that for so long. It hurt really badly in that moment, but now I'm, you know, just a few days out and I'm like, wow, why did I <laughs> resist that? So you're right. You know, like the more I resisted it, the more it just became impossible to keep avoiding it because it, you know, it took a year to kind of boil over but it just kept getting harder and harder to keep it stable. Right. So I'm sorry. I'm 
sorry for that to happen, but um, I mean, but honestly, I really appreciated that I had a heads up because when it started becoming apparent that it was going to come to a head, like I honestly knew that it was going to come out, you know, in not a super great way. Um, But yeah, so when I started doing the that report, and I was just like, oh, this is coming up mid January. Okay, I'm. It's going to take me a little while to put this whole thing together, but you need to you need to know about this one before it happens. Right? Yeah, honestly, yeah. If you'd waited till after and be like, haha, I knew it was coming, I'd have been like, Becca, like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> but, um, you know, all that to say that if anyone, you know, this is my first time ever uh, requesting, you know, like a look at my transits for the year. And I feel like that now needs to be part of my self care because, you know, it did very kind of immediately provide me with sort of tools and a bit of preparation going into a difficult situation. So, um, you know, I highly recommend to everyone, please well, get a <laughs> report Rebecca because it'll make your life easier. I am glad it is working out for you. So I just want to say, I do have, um, I do have two other cards and they are celestials. They are the star and the moon. I thought about adding in the sun as well, but that, I think that was, I don't know. Well, my last card is the sun. So okay. we have all the celestials and it's okay. because I thought about the star and the moon and I thought that they were a little more nebulous. And so I skipped them. Okay. Yeah. See, I thought the sun was a little bit, um, as much as I said, I was okay with the cliche of strength. I thought the sun was a little bit too on the nose. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. Let's, well, let's start with the, the star. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, you know, the star as self-care is really, allowing yourself to have hope, allowing yourself to think of the possibilities of not just where you are right now, but of all the other things that are available. And, you know, it's not even a card of really like making a plan to achieve those things. It's just believing that they can come. Yeah. It's, it's just that kind of like that pure hope of like, yeah, lots of things are possible. So I think that that just sort of, it is nebulous and it is, you know, it's the star, it's a nighttime card, but it's, I find it very optimistic in a way that resonates with me. Yeah, no, I get it. And, you know, I still, I definitely see it as a very hopeful card, but I was trying to think of like self-care in sort of more proactive ways, I guess. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm keeping it. Um, but again, just cause I was trying to not just, you know, bring the whole deck. <laughs> I, I think, I think with, uh, my own personal history with clinical depression, um, just the idea of just like pure positivity without having to make a plan is something that I really struggle with. No, oh, same. Yeah. So I think that's, that's where I was coming from with cho- choosing it, that it's something that does not at all come easy to me. And it's actually sometimes easier to work on things that can be planned, even if they're not as positive and not as hopeful, because like, there's something that, you know, that I can hold on to. Um, And so that's that's the self-care aspect of like, you know, let yourself think big, think, you know. Right. You know, it's, that gets me thinking about the idea of, you know, asking for enough and the idea of magic and asking to have enough. But, you know, when we say enough, I think that our first reaction is to think like, oh, just enough to survive and no more. And that's not true. It's enough to have a fulfilling life, mm-hmm. not enough to survive. It's enough to thrive, mm-hmm. you know, and it's okay to want that. 
Right. So I also picked the moon, mm-hmm. um, which is a card that I have always resonated with. It is, you know, it's the card for Pisces and I'm a Pisces and, or I'm a Pisces sun. I'm a Capricorn uh, moon. So I guess, you know, that's the devil as well. So, um, but I know that, you know, the, the, the moon can have negative connotations of like, you know, secrets and lies, but it's so much of just like, I don't know. I see it as dream walking, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and you know, not just because it's got a little lobster on it. <laughs> See, I honestly, I've always hated and like sort of strongly rejected that notion of the moon as secrecy and hidden things. And it took me a, like several years to understand why, because like that's the traditional meaning, like, oh, there's hidden things, there's secrets. But you know what? That was also the interpretation of the high priestess, that there's subterfuge, that there's hidden, right? Because she has a scroll tucked into her robe. And I honestly think that that's a bunch of sexism. I think that this was put together in a time where, uh, you know, female empowerment, the feminine divine was still, you know, was rejected out of fear of how it could, you know, shake the patriarchy. And so they took these things that are beautifully empowering and and female, like the high priestess, you know, the high priestess is, you know, menstrual blood and, and generational knowledge and it's that threshold. It's, you know, Persephone. And so how do we decide that that means, you know, subterfuge and the moon card, right? It's crossing over that threshold into the lunar landscape. Like you said, it's dreamwalking, but to me, it's also, you know, it's shamanic journeying. It's non-ordinary reality. And the challenge is, you know, knowing to find your way back, right? You have to cross the threshold and you have to walk the path back out. You can't get stuck there. And so, yeah, you know, again, I think that seeing it as a bad thing is kind of a fear of, you know, crossing over and not knowing how to return. But, you know, but I, I can't help but take that back to, to sexism and patriarchy because these are things that have been traditionally associated with goddess worship and female empowerment and the feminine divine. Right. Actually, and you just brought up the high priestess, which I think is, it's an interesting um, duality with the moon card because of course the moon card is represented by Pisces and the high priestess is represented by the moon. Right. And also, I think one of the things about the the high priestess, um, which I didn't bring up when I just mentioned her earlier, was, you know, she's she's kind of perceived as this buttoned up kind of sexless nun type character often, I think, because she's wearing a high neck shirt and stuff. But her the the fabric behind her is covered in pomegranates, which are an ancient symbol of fertility. And like, so I think that she has like she has that kind of hidden sexual nature to her that like she's not like lounging out on her divan like you know like the um the empress is but like she has that within her and i think that although i think that there's there's a meme that's been going around that if if you try to find the the the, the perfect man for a tarot trip a tarot trick is to you know find the priestess in the deck and then put it under your pillow and she'll give you dreams about how you don't need a man (laughs) and so I you know so I think that you know there is that that quality of being very self-possessed and that she is all that is needed but that doesn't mean that she's isolated and that doesn't mean that you know she's her the fact that she's you know covered in clothing does not mean that she is you know distanced from people or from her sexuality I also can't help but see the connection between 
you know, the tension between paganism and Christianity. And I can't help but see like Mists of Avalon where, you know, overlaid on the island of Avalon, you have, you know, the cloister of the nuns. And so it's sort of like the masking of, you know, the paganism and witchcraft with, you know, cloisters and nuns. And, uh, you know, the high priestess used to be called, you know, the popus. And, yeah. uh, you know, it was a metaphor for, you know, the, 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 the holy church. And, and now it's not called that anymore, right? It's called the right. high priestess and it has evolved for a reason. Yeah. How I wish that Marion Zimmer Bradley was not such a garbage human being so that I could reread that book. I know. I used to love that book so much, but you know, I've, it's one of those places where I have to kind of challenge myself to really stick to my, my morals because I've always, I've always said that you can't divorce the artist from the art, you know, like that, that's not okay. Like, I don't want to watch Woody Allen movies. Right. Mists of Avalon is one that hurts me deeply because those were wonderful books. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't actually still have a copy of Mists of Avalon. I do have a copy of, um, Firebrand, Firestarter, Fire. I think it's, it's not Firestarter. That's a yeah. prodigy song. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Stephen King novel. <laughs> but yeah, I still, I still have a copy of the, the second one. Um, but but yeah, that in I mean, and yeah, in high school, that was like a big introduction for me into paganism, into witchcraft was Miss of Avalon. So yeah, it uh, it definitely hurts to learn that she was such a garbage person. So yeah, I hear you. And I, you know, I guess this is where we're dating ourselves because we're you know we're hurting over uh, over her, and you know, younger generations are hurting over J.K. Rowling. So like, what right. is it with just you know with like amazing works that like empower people with you know witchiness happening to be written by like garbage women what is that i don't know <sighs> ah, yeah. returning to our self-care cards here <laughs> a little heated here um anyway so my last card is the sun and i i get what you're saying about it being the cliche however this card to me has also become the Part of um, integration of the child self and specifically of caring for the child self. Uh, you know, one thing that was a big part of my journey with my high priestess was that idea of you being empowered to go back and heal your own childhood wounds and to, you know, to do that in meditation space, do it in non-ordinary reality or in dream space to go back and, you know, be the adult that your child self needed in those situations and go through that as a healing exercise. And it's something that can be, you know, wonderful for self-care. It can even be a meditation where you visualize yourself, you know, tucking your child self into bed and doing the things that, you know, that maybe were lacking for you that have created wounds in your adult self. And so I, you know, I think that like, while there is the cliche, there is kind of that deeper, you know, message of self-care that can be you know, really healing. Yeah, I do. I love the the message, just like the unbridled joy of the sun card, that that baby doesn't care. That baby is having a good time. That baby does not realize how dangerous it is to ride a horse naked with no helmet. Um, you know? <laughs> like, I, <laughs> a, a thing that happened in my personal life, and I was with my partner at what's that place called water country in new hampshire at the water park and there's the like i think it's called the dynamo and it's that slide that's basically completely vertical just like vertical down yeah i wouldn't do that right nope. well so you know so he's been going on there since he was a kid so he's not afraid of it 
And I promised on our last go there that I would try it. I was like, I'll try. And I climbed all the way up to the top of the steps and I stepped up to the ledge and I looked over it and I kind of threw up in my mouth. <laughs> then I had to step back. And then these little kids kept just like coming up and jumping off it. And this, you know, like this adult guy says to me, he's like, well, look at them. They're doing it. And I'm like, yeah, but they don't understand how easy it is for them to die. Like they're kids. <laughs> you know? I felt like that uh, the first time I tried skiing. The first of, I think, three times in my life that I've tried skiing because I'm not good at it. I am not good with slippery things between my feet and the ground. You know, mm -hmm. skiing, roller skating, any of that. So just, nope, I need my feet on the ground. But I remember I was like on like the baby hill and I was trying to like, you know, do the, the thing with the V, putting your, like a snowplow, I think it's called, when you put your, the skis pizza. together in a V. Fries pizza? Yeah, 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 that's the one. I've seen the person who grew up in the tropics, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, I am just not like, I'm afraid of heights. It was like, even the baby hill was just like, this is scary. I don't like this. And the friend that I was, this was like in high school and the friend that I was with who had gone skiing a bunch and was, you know, was moderately okay at it was like, come on, just go. Like, and she's like, she was getting really tired of hanging out with me. And like, she just wanted to ski. And I was like, no, seriously, you just, because I'm going to be doing this for a while. But there were these little kids just like zooming past me. And she's like, look, they're doing it. And I was just like, yeah, and I'm going to run over one of them. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. But that's the thing, you know, like that sort of unawareness of mortality that you have as a child is not something that I can tap into. Yeah. <laughs> and I think actually we even brought it up in our very first episode when you were talking about sneaking out of the house to go to like the park with a bunch of strangers and practice witchcraft and I was talking about like that that power of being an idiot teenager that <laughs> is that that fearlessness is like it's almost it's very very difficult to contact as an adult to like bring that back and like no I, I could still do that like it's still within me but there's just there's so many layers of things that like have over the decades since then that it's just like that's so hard to tap into. I like that we've come like full circle to something we talked about in our first episode in the first episode of season two. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, as much as the sun has that cliche, I think there's, there, there's definitely value in that, even if it's, you know, I'm never going to be that carefree kid again, at least not in this body. Yeah. It's to try and remember, you know, how empowering that is. Yeah, I'm actually thinking it's, um, so I've been doing like the general readings on my YouTube channel. The sun has come up a couple of times in um, the position of what people fear. So it's like, you know, the month ahead and what's your greatest hope and what's your greatest fear is what the like, positions I pull. And sometimes like I, I've been sort of interpreting the sun in that position as, as there's something you don't want light sh shown on, that there's something that you're trying to you're trying to keep hidden or you're trying to keep repressed and like there's something that you don't want to release and I think it's it's really interesting trying to you know interpret a card that seems so inherently positive on the surface of like okay this is your how is the sun the greatest your, your greatest fear well you know maybe you burn easily Honestly, you know? but I would see I actually would literally see that as the fear of success because mm -hmm. like people are afraid of actually getting what they want because then you get there and then what? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually having a conversation uh, with someone again in the Tara study group about how, you know, 
one of the the spreads that I had put together was talking about you know, like what makes you feel threatened and it was a positive card that came out and uh, you know what I said was like well you feel threatened when things are well because you don't believe they're gonna stay that way and mm-hmm. so you have a hard time enjoying it because you're always afraid of you know like the, the other shoe dropping and what's coming next and so I think that a lot of people actually have a lot of anxiety surrounding the idea of success because like when you get there like, you know, like the fear of losing it is so overwhelming. I think not only the fear of losing it, but the fear of now what? Like the struggle becomes your life. And you don't have to think about what's going to happen tomorrow because it's just going to be more of the struggle. Mm -hmm. And if you actually get what you want, then you need a new plan. Then you need a new goal. And that's, you know, going to self-care, like that's, that's something that, you know, definitely happens that we limit ourselves because we are comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, we're about out of time, but we wanted to kind of ease back into this with, you know, a lighter topic and self-care. And, you know, I think that a lot of the work that's been done around tarot with, you know, contemporary tarot folks is that idea of tarot as very much a self-care tool. So for anyone who's, you know, trying to connect with their deck more and, find ways to engage in self-care, you know, I obviously definitely endorse the tarot as a tool for that. Right. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, um, I mean, people joke like, oh, it's cheaper than a therapist. You know, it's not a substitute, but it is definitely an interesting add-on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're really excited for, you know, this new season of episodes. Um, Our next episode is going to feature a guest to talk about, Uh, sigil crafting and making your own tarot deck and we're really excited for that and please you know check becca out if you want some astrological reports because they are excellent thank you again for for the uh the recommendation yeah i would love to uh i would love to do a report for you actually i will say something i saw today um i was looking at my birth certificate for non-astrological purposes and I found out that my parents did not record my middle name on my birth certificate. Huh. So, you know, I go by like Rebecca Heather for this. I, Heather is not on my birth certificate. So that's uh, interesting. Huh. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that means. It's on all of my other documents, but, um, but yeah, cause I, I'm basically, I'm renewing my license and they're getting ready for the whole real ID thing. Oh yeah. And they're like, make sure it matches your official paperwork. So like, okay, well I have a copy of my birth certificate, which does not match. But but yeah, so if you want, uh, I bring that up because, you know, if you want a accurate astrological report, the more accurate your birth time is, the more accurate your astrology will be. Mm -hmm. And um, I will say, don't trust your mom's memory. She was very busy at the time. Look up your birth certificate. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good point. Well, and Becca and I are both available for tarot readings as well. And you can find information about that at witchcitywitches.com. You should also follow us on Instagram at witchcitywitches. And if you have any questions for us or comments or someone that you'd like to hear us talk to, please send us an email at askawitch at witchcitywitches.com. Thank you so much for listening.